0: having to
1: speak with me and wait for me how is your day going so far it's been full uh, we've been practicing for we've got two big concerts in glasgow and manchester this week so we were practicing for that but no everything was good we went for a dog walk uh my hay fever's driving me mad it's just the usual <laughs> trials and tribulations of life isn't it yeah. Is it still your know,
0: coffee tea part of the day or is that way behind you?
1: No, I'm this is five o'clock at night, mate. Nice office you've got there. Is it your office or is it your uh the living space? It's it's where oh, I do nice. the interviews, I
0: investigate, and we also live. It's this beach town on Long Island, New York. Uh it's it's not a place where you're playing on tour though. That unfortunately, I know.
1: I know. I wish. Well, well I'm saying that I've not got there yet, but to um, to ask for more places uh, when I'm, I've got a nagging feeling that visiting anywhere is going to be very difficult. So yeah, mm-hmm. my son was us, just yeah. my son was just telling me that when he did the Smashing Pumpkins tour, they only did five gigs, and the bags guitars etc and equipment went missing on three of them wow so on on that ratio god knows how we're gonna go on i
0: I wouldn't worry just yet fingers crossed but the the bottom line is and can i compliment you or are you one of those people who can't take a compliment
1: (laughs) No, it depends what it's for mate
0: okay so when i think about you know Besides the great production work and the collaborations you've done and solo project and all that, the two bands that made you a household name to begin with, Joy Division, New Order, those are two bands that I can listen to year round, no matter the time of day. I was listening to New Order on the beach a couple of days ago. It's just timeless, great music that holds up. i
1: tell you what, mate, I'm glad you're in good company as well. Otherwise, I'd be playing to myself, wouldn't I? (laughs) there's, uh, There's a lot of us that like to hear it. Which is, which is one of the good things. And I suppose that's the odd thing that gets you through. Uh, I was thinking that um, the gig on Saturday is at a very famous venue in Manchester called the Apollo. Mm-hmm. And the first time I played at the Apollo was when Joy Division supported the Buzzcocks on the 27th of October, 1979. And I was 23 oh my god the same age as my daughter who's just bellowing me in right in in the back so yeah i mean and it's amazing to think that i'm back um you know 43 years later
0: it's it's a lot of numbers to consider and a lot of artists who have that kind of success want to go as far away as possible from that back catalog they in other words they have something to prove where they go uh, that was old me. I don't want to think about that. Did you always love your back catalog or did that come later after you had some time away from it?
1: It sounds like you've met Bernard uh, then with that question. Um, oh, no, no. Uh, you, you're the only uh, member that would um, talk to me. So, <laughs> to <you. laughs> that That is a compliment. Um, that, that is definitely a compliment. the, the weird thing is, and I will be truthful because I can be now, is, is that one of the big frustrations with New Order was the reluctance to play anything from the back catalogue. It's like you were stuck in a rut where you played the seven, same 17 songs over and over again. Yeah. And the irony was it was quite infrequently um, that you played them. You know, I mean, we we, we were not a high touring band. I think New Order and Peter Hook and the Light have actually got the accolades of doing more touring in their fifties and sixties than they ever did in their thirties, forties or twenties, which is bloody ridiculous. It's just mad. How do you, yeah. I I mean, I honestly, I I can't imagine why um, that is, but no, I've always been the one that's been immensely proud of everything, including Joy Division and was always the boy sticking his hand up going, can't we play Age of Consent? Can't we play Dreams Never End? Can't we play this? Can't we play that? And um, unfortunately, the answer was generally no. And um, we, we only played Joy Division twice. We did it once as a charity concert. And I'm sure that the only reason that New Order did it was because I was going to do it on my own with a backing band um, if, if they didn't. Right. So New Order actually played a Joy Division set Uh, And then we repeated that Joy Division set in um, London. Uh, And Barney, when he came off, said, you know what? I don't enjoy playing that. It's a bit miserable. So I'm not going to do that again. And lo and behold, he didn't. Uh, The only reason they play them now is because I think it's a a way of them stamping their ownership of those songs. Right. John Fogarty
0: part two only this happened first where you have the person who's willing to play the songs that the people want to hear and then the other people that seem a little grumpy about it and then eventually my words not yours cash in a little bit so I always gave you credit for embracing your past in a cool way but also pushing the ball forward like you never stopped making music you never stopped
1: working with great up-and-coming artists so, no, I mean, it's you know, one of the wonderful things I loved about being in a group, and I was watching the Rolling Stones documentary where uh, Keith Richards was pr- saying pretty much the same thing was that every opportunity that comes your way be it, you know, playing a church hall locally or play in an arena sure, uh, to me, they're the same. Oh, a chance to play. Wow, this is much <laughs> better than working for a living. I'll do it right, right? and yet. The, the more you are eager to do it, the, as you say, the other side tends to be, no, we don't want to do anything. And I mean, and I used to watch the things that New Order turned down and literally they made a grown man cry. And I was like so frustrated and... Yeah. You know, I think my wife actually sums it up pretty well. She said that when I played with New Order, I never came home happy. And since I started doing, playing it myself, I do nothing but come home happy. Yeah. So, you know, for whatever reason, maybe it is me. I'll, I'll take it, you know, if the other three are liberated and free now and uh, joyous in every aspect of of their career and their life then I'll take it it was me it was me that was the problem you know I'm not saying it was them Uh, and no one will ever know what the problem was but you know that there there is a difference and it is a shame I mean in in my opinion and I will never change that opinion um, New Order was a wonderful wonderful group Mm -hmm. and as I say New Order now in my opinion and not New Order uh, and I will never change that opinion. And I think they've, they've been very lucky, um, you know, to, to do what they're doing. Uh, but I mean, that's my opinion. I'm sure if it was one of them and it was us three, you know, that had kicked them out or, you know, <laughs> crossed them, backstabbed them, whatever. I'm sure all of us would be sat here saying the same thing about the other three. It's like human nature, isn't it? Really. But um, yeah, but no, it's 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 wonderful. When I, when I came to play, uh, I remember I was touring with a band called The Clone Roses. Uh, I was DJing before The Clone Roses went on. Yeah. And what amazed me about it was, was that everybody thought that they were the Stone Roses. Right. And the singer um, was constantly being, you know, I, uh, can you sign this for me? And they'd be really shocked when they'd go, on, you've signed this John. And he'd go, okay, that's about him. And they go, hang on, you've got a Scottish accent, you know, and you're not Ian Brown, what's going on, you know? And I was yeah. like, fucking hell, this is nuts. And I said to the guy running it, uh, I said to him, I said, you know what, I'm definitely going to start the Salford Joy Division. Right? And he said, Peter, he said, if you did, he said, you'd want to be in it and you can't be in your own tribute band. Hmm. So at least I proved him wrong in that I am immensely proud of Joy Division. I'm immensely proud of New Order, that we got through and achieved what we did in the 31 years we were together. We really did fight against all the odds. And, you know, we we did a fantastic job. sad thing is we can't find it in ourselves to be respectful to any of the members um, for those 31 years' hard work. But, I mean, that's life and, you know, everybody has to just get on with what they're given, don't they, right? Let's, so the but thing is, is that when, I, when I, sorry. There,
0: uh, oh, sorry. Uh, pardon uh, the interruption here, but here you are all these years later, doing things on your own terms, playing big venues still, sounding great. It's not like the songs are three keys down or anything like that. So you're- you <laughs> to go in new order there, mate. <laughs> I, I did not do that, but, uh, the, the press release that you put out, I appreciate how it was celebrating your legacy, but at the same time self-deprecating when you said like, and this will cure my imposter syndrome, you put that <laughs> line in there. So I appreciate how the greatness is there, but at the same time, the modesty is still there all these years later.
1: Well, I mean, I, that isn't difficult, you know, um coming from a a very working class background, as as I did, and I do realise how lucky I've been and what a wonderful, wonderful life I have now compared to a lot of people, and I'm very grateful for that. But I mean, it has been hard work. And, you know, a lot of us have suffered along the way. And it's quite odd, really, because when, when I came to do it, I thought that the gigs would be full of, you know, fat old blokes like me. (laughs) <laughs> that bald and other blokes like me, you know, living in the past. And then all of a sudden you start doing these joy division gigs in places like Mexico in Brazil, and you're you're finding a new young audience that are appreciating the music mm-hmm. just as much as I did when I was their age. And there's also another audience that has been played it to death by their mothers and fathers, God bless them. Um, so you, you've got all these new young people. Because the music is bloody wonderful. It's fantastic music. It's still timeless. Thanks to Martin Hannett, the LPs are timeless.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: thanks to Ian Curtis, the lyrics, mm-hmm. and the passion and the intensity, it still reverberate with young people who were going through what we were going through when we wrote it. Confusion, not knowing what the future held looking out at a country that was, you know, not very um, bright, uh, right. was on its knees in many ways for many, many reasons. It was a very bleak snapshot. And yet you realise that every generation has that feeling. Um, and Ian successfully talks to them over and over again. I mean, yeah. I've, I've had many shocks in my life playing Joy Division's music in that to get to Mexico and realise how much the Mexican audience loved Joy Division, which I'd never considered. Them, you know, that band. Peru, Colombia.
0: Mexico is such a wild card for dark yeah. music that you never knew was bigger there than it was anywhere else.
1: You know, it, it, it was amazing that um, we played in Mexico City. And the promoter was saying to me, I said, oh, how have we done, mate? And he said, oh, you've got 4,999. And I went, wow. I said, that is incredible. He said, yeah. He said, the band last week beat it. He said, they got 5,000. And I said, oh, who was that? And he said, it was the Stone Roses. <laughs> I was like, wow. That is amazing, you know. And so, yeah, it, it has been a great, If you, it was don't, don't get me wrong, it was hard work. It was hard work to begin with. It was very, um, I realized that I was in a very tricky situation with a lot of fans. I realized that a lot of fans took a lot of convincing. There was also a hell of a kickback from the old keyboard warriors that actually scared off my three singers, right? So it was serious. Those three guys I had lined up to sing and it was Rowetta from the Happy Mondays that said to me in the end, she said, okay, you're gonna have to do it. End of And I was like, ah, shit. Yeah, you know, big big shoes to fill. Right, Ian Curtis's were big shoes to fill. Luckily, Bernard Sumner's were were the same size shoe, so <laughs> that was quite handy. Um, so the thing is, is that you know, having my son play with me mm-hmm. when we started was really weird because that gave it such an eerie feeling. And whilst I was devastated to lose him to the Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Corgan, the bugger. Um, I, it was wonderful to see him sort of grow his own wings, fly the nest, if you like. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I miss him terribly when when he does go. So, it, but it's great to see what it led him to. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he takes great delight in telling me how many people they're playing to. <laughs> We've still yeah. got a long way to go, mate. Absolutely. Yeah. So no, no, it's it's been a it's been a wonderful wonderful experience and I must admit that from my point of view as being a huge huge fan of Joy Division probably the biggest to find a lot of other fans of Joy Division has been an absolute delight and you know when people say to you why do you play for so long (laughs) because I fucking love it you know I mean literally they 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 have to drag me off I've become the Bruce Springsteen of Salford um you know that thing where you know where they used to come and drag James Brown off and with the cape. Yeah. come back, yeah, you know uh, I'm, I'm thinking of doing that so yeah, I've been very lucky, it has been hard work, but it has been amazingly worth it And you know, the thoughts that you have like the thought I had about the Apollo uh, standing there at 23 absolutely terrified and lo and behold, I'm standing there 43 years later, absolutely terrified <laughs> Yeah, sharing wonderful, wonderful music and I do think you know, when, when, when I used to sit down with Ian, the thing he used to most want to talk about was how the group was going to take over the world. How Joy Division, we were going to take our music and we were going to go here and we were going to go there and we were going to go everywhere. All the places we dreamed of. You know, all our heroes were in Los Angeles or New York. You know, you wanted to emulate the Velvet Underground, Iggy Pop, you know, you name it, any kind of icon of American music. Right. And I always think of him, whenever I get somewhere, even when we played in Mongolia, and we were the only Western band ever to play in Mongolia at that point, I don't know if they've had more, (laughs) I know they're not getting any now, but um, yeah, I don't know if they'd they'd had more, but... Oh, play oh, yes.
0: there, yeah. There's a Mongolian band that's, that's doing the amphitheater circuit here in
1: the States. But oh, the, good the, for them. You know, there was some good music. I was given a lot of music by Mongolian bands. And even though they, they sing in English, yeah. some of the music was great. It was really, really good. But yeah, so every time I think, of every time I get to these places, I always think that's for you, mate. You know, that's for yeah. you. His, his dream was to spirit,
0: go. Yeah, his spirit and, and influence lives on to, you know, and no question about it. And being mindful of your time here, uh, the last question I have for you
1: is oh, on.
0: Do you have another book in you? I know you've done <laughs> three, and your honesty is very refreshing because a lot of people go, Oh, I'm I'm worried about who I'm gonna offend with the truth here. You don't quite have that problem.
1: Well, I'm I'm a bit like Mark Lanigan in in, in that respect. Um, the I have got another book and I, I have been planning it and it looks like it will be happening. I've got, you, you, you have to get sort of a, a form in your head. And now um, the, the big thing, the problem I have in my books is that none of them have a happy ending. And sadly, this hasn't got a happy ending either. Um, I'm gonna do a book about what happened after um, New Order split. Wow. The, the legal aspect and um, the frustration being involved in those decisions that you made when you were 20 that now repeatedly come back to haunt you that you cannot reverse. And it's, yeah, it's gonna be a salutary tale of um, be careful what you sign. As like I always say, I, I used to have a game with my lawyer where my lawyer would show me a piece of paper and I'd go, what idiot signed this? And he'd turn it over and go, "Oh, it's you again!" God fucking hell. So yeah, you know, as my mother said of my first marriage, she said, um, "Act in haste and repent at leisure, Peter." <laughs> uh, and she was absolutely right about that one as well. So the thing is, is that the lesson of it will be um, a, a look at the uh, the music law aspect and the actual legal system uh, with regard to musicians and. The pain, mm. uh, not only has it caused me, but also all the people around me. Um, and, yeah, it's done nothing for music, which is the saddest thing. But I have got the form of it because, obviously, there's a few gags. And it's incredibly sad, but also incredibly funny in a one-flew-over-the-cuckoo's-nest um, sort of fashion. Uh, and, yeah, there's, there's many anecdotes, um, shall we say, as, as much as we had the other way around. So, yeah, and, uh, I'm, I've nearly... I'd say that I'm 80% there with the idea. Um, so when I get 100% with the idea, I will actually begin to put it together. And um, yeah, it will be as painful and funny um, at the same time. Yeah, even, if, even the dogs are looking forward to it. How about that? <laughs> I
0: am very excited about this book as a, as a recovering music industry person. That well, you know
1: contracts it, it's, I I actually know so much about the law now which was quite ironic because when I was 16 I went to be a lawyer and turned it down and got rid of it because it was boring and now by default I'm actually I must admit better uh, educated in aspects of the law than most bloody lawyers that I meet right you know so yeah I'm like oh my god how did that happen but again you know I do realize that everything that I have and everything that um, I've earned and over the years, uh, there there is a price to pay. Right. And like the the, um, relationship with New Order, I realise is the price to pay for sitting here at the moment, being happy with what I'm doing, being happy with the way the Hacienda works, our club, Mm -hmm. um, the way that the legacy uh, is used from the past and also going forward. Uh, I realise that there are some things I have to pay. You know, I have to wear the hair shirt on some ways. And let's be fair, let's face it, if you didn't, wouldn't life be boring if we didn't have anything to moan about? What would our wives do if we didn't have anything to moan about? You know? Yeah. Oh, God.
0: I'll, I'll ask her in a couple of minutes, but the bottom <laughs> line is really thank you for the decades of You're welcome. Music.
1: Thank you and very much. It's we'll nice.
0: Whatever is to come, whether it's a book, a Joy Division mm. tour, a New Order tour, the solo stuff, whatever it is here it's, it's quite
1: interesting because I just got a, a letter from my old friend Rusty Egan from Visage then. And he sent me a track uh, and it's great. It's uh, it's a really, really good track. And I was listening to that just before you came on and he said, OK, stick some vocals on it, put some bass on it. So, yeah, it's nice. It happens. It, it's still happening. Thank God. So, awesome. Thank you. Have a
0: wonderful <laughs> rest of the day, man. Take care. Take care.
1: Bye bye. Hey, how's your day
0: going there so far? Aside from having to talk to press. Oh, it's fine. It's only it's early
2: morning. I've done my Pilates. I've done my weights. I've fed the cat. Um, you know, all's pretty good. I've had my Muesli, Uh, and now I'm in your in your dining room or something.
0: Yeah, or something. <laughs> but uh, the bottom line is, I appreciate you taking the time, and we are here to talk about Darby and Joan. From speaking with your co-star Greta, it sounds like you made it about a year ago or you wrapped on it about a year ago. Pretty, We started about a year ago. Yeah, we started about a year ago. So you've been talking to Greta. I had the pleasure. And the last thing she told me before we disconnected was that she hopes to work with you further. So obviously (laughs) co-stars that are not feuding. I, I hope so,
2: too. We do enjoy we do enjoy working together. We did a movie together about three or four years ago, and that that was enjoyable. And I, I hope we work together because I'll tell you why, because she's so bloody good. She's great to work with. you know she's true. I mean, you've got to put up with you know all the dramas of family life and everything that she comes to tell you about on the
0: set over and over
2: and over. But if you just say "Shut up," then it's all right and get on with her.
0: Well. Um, yeah. One of the things I asked her about was her prep for this role. And she mentioned, yeah, she spoke with a nurse or two, she took a course or two, but she wasn't too worried about that. In your case, playing a detective, what kind of prep was needed or what kind of prep did you do? Um, I read the script.
2: (laughs) Okay, well, I'm curious, you know. I, I I, I didn't go to a gun club. I've been out with cops. A number of times, you know, uh, to do with research and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, you know, the world that they deal with is not a world that any of us want to deal with. Um, you know, uh, it, it's a hard world. Uh, but basically, you know, we're talking about a man. And, you know, I have to play a man. And uh, I, I don't find that too difficult. Um, uh, but it's a man that's carrying stuff. Uh, and we all carry stuff. We're all dealing with stuff. We're all trying to, we've all got stuff praying around in our mind there that drives us fucking insane.
0: Sure.
2: Um, um so in that way, here's what he's carrying happens to be, you know, whatever happened in, when he was a detective that's forced him off to f- film. But you know, you, you you relate to that in your own way and whatever. Basically, um the, the biggest thing he's 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 worried about is that he's got a woman driver. <laughs>
0: The, the first response that you gave me, where you said the script, like that's the, that was the main prep for you. Going back in your career, because you've been steadily working now for decades and decades, were you ever method at any point in your career where you actually would shadow a person in that profession before taking the role?
2: Um, I'm one of those people that always said, any fucking method will work.
0: Any, what are your method? Yeah, any fucking method, as long as it works. Uh, where I'm going further with that is that some actors get so deep into the role that you can't call them by anything but their character name for the whole shoot. So you seem like the exact opposite of that.
2: Well, I just reckon that's bullshit, okay? <laughs> so, um, uh, and I got 50 years experience that allows me to say that. They can say I'm full of bullshit too, which is fine. Actors call everyone bullshit. Um, but look, what's the? you can't carry it. I mean, I've, I've had babies growing up with me. I've got teenagers. How can I go home and be that character in the what's that? They want dad. That's who they're yelling at. That's who they're annoyed with. So I've got to answer that. So, yeah, I don't carry stuff home. I try to make it as
0: real as possible on the day and then I go home. Wow. Were you always this easygoing before the kids in that part of your career where you knew the deal, you knew when to call BS on everything early on?
2: That's a good question, because I can, I can give a very pretentious answer by going, oh, yeah, and of course, you don't know everything. What do you, you know? Of course you don't. But, you know, I was lucky enough to be brought up by a single parent mother who had who faced life pretty straight up. And, you know, a person like that has to bloody no BS uh, because they're dealing with the realities of life to try and feed their two kids on their own. So I guess I guess I saw basics pretty early on.
0: Hmm. Well, one of the most fascinating things about Your career to me is not just the talent and not just the great work you've done, but how you've been able to have success in Australia, success in Europe, success here, different projects going at the same time. So I'm curious as a person who reads a lot about the industry, is it that you have different agents and representation in Australia than the States or just have great representation that handles you worldwide?
2: No, I, I I do have good 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 agents. Uh, you know, I I have the same agent in in, in LA you know, that, that I in America that I've had from the day I walked in there after Breaker Morant, Fred Specter at CAA. Um, but I think that my thing was that like uh, you, you know I I I I I like living in Australia, so that meant I have to you know there's certain choices I can't have. You know, you know out of sight, out of mind, and and things like, but but I also like, you know, I very much like telling stories about my country, about the type of people we are. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't do that offshore. So, you know, I've tried to mix it up where I can, but um, you know, the long and short of it is, I'm still working, mm-hmm. um, arms and legs and still go all right. Um, You know, the the head's going, going okay, having a bit of trouble with this guitar that I'm trying to learn how to play for the last couple of years and I'm still as bad as I was on the first day. So basically life's, you know, life's pretty, pretty,
0: pretty ordinary, uh, like everyone else's. As a music person with a guitar about 40 feet away from me right now, who or what inspired you to start playing guitar at this phase of your life?
2: I know, I know, I know. Yeah. I think I I sit on my balcony a lot, right? I I sit on, I've got a house in Sydney where I sit on a balcony, I look out at Sydney Harbour, you know? And and eventually I went, mate, if you're on a balcony, you're meant to play guitar. If you're (laughs) going to sit here just staring, you're meant to be strumming a guitar. So I went, okay, it's time. So I went and got a guitar and got a teacher and started. And I practice every day. And you'd think I'd get better, but after two and a half years, well, I know the chords, but I'm still lousy at getting to them. Outrocast.